You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanashevsky. Thanks for joining us. You are listening to the first ever edition of the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with myself, Natasha Sanishevsky, and my lovely co-host for the day, Al. Uh, Al, you are in Toronto. I'm in Calgary. What's going on? How are you? What's happening, Natasha? And thank you for that rousing introduction. The lovely co-host is something I've never been called before, but uh, but I do appreciate it. And it's a beautiful day in Toronto. Uh, How is it in Calgary? It is smoky. It's a little bit of smoky. Those wildfires in BC, man, they are, uh, they're burning up. All of Alberta's been really? really smoky lately. So it's beautiful. It's hot. It's sunny. Um, but yeah, smoky is the first thing that comes cool. to mind. <laughs> so Well, it's we great to be here with you. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, this is going to be fun. I'm glad you're here with me too. This is, I think we should explain what we're doing here. It's a sports podcast. You have a betting background. I know I nothing do. about betting, full disclosure. I mean, I know a few things, not a lot, but this podcast is going to be mostly about sports, uh, whatever is happening, good stuff, bad stuff. We're going to keep it light. It won't be that serious. Whatever comes around, we might even talk about, I don't know, baking, who knows, other things like that. But you're going to weigh in with uh, your betting opinions once in a while too. So we have that layer to the podcast uh, and we'll see how it goes. You're a huge sports fan, right? You have a, a Seattle jersey on right now. I guess the viewers, I, the listeners can't see, but you're wearing a Seahawks jersey. I am proudly wearing a Seahawks jersey. Okay. You know what? I am. Uh, I, I am. Uh, this is a, a, a Marshawn Lynch beast mode jersey. So I'm a big Marshawn Lynch fan, and I will have my Kraken jersey soon enough because I think the jerseys are kind of hot. Um, but uh, but no, this is in honor of the expansion draft that just uh, happened. What a couple of days ago now. So I know we're going to be. Yes talking about that so i'm getting into the the right frame of mind with my seattle jersey on and and you're right i do have a betting background uh i've been in the gambling business for 15 years but more importantly i've been a canadian sports fan for 40 plus years uh so i'm excited to talk about sports and we can layer in some betting here and there as we need to but uh, this is a sports podcast to your point okay like you said uh the kraken had a big day the other day we have to talk about that however the olympics are underway and we have a very special guest joining us later in the show that i want to mention uh anna merklinger who is the ceo of own the podium will join us uh which i think is going to be awesome she will give us uh all kinds of i don't know i guess background on the athletes how they've been doing over the last year and a half since covid threw a wrench into everything uh, there's lots going on with them. They managed to get to the Olympics, which is awesome. So we're going to hear from her. However, we're living in Canada, which means you can talk about hockey any day of the week, any day of the season, it's the middle of summer, but we're talking hockey because the Kraken uh, had their expansion draft the other day. And I think you said you're a Leafs fan, right? Uh, I am. And I don't appreciate the tone of voice you took when you said you're a Leafs fan. <laughs> just FYI. Let's just be clear about that. I, I, I did detect a little tone of, I'll call no. it jealousy. I'll call it jealous. I'll call it jealousy. It's jealous. okay. Although, you know, <laughs> well, I know, I well, well, I mean, I know the Leafs were in the playoffs. I don't think Calgary made it, if I remember correctly. Well, the way, I know, I, if I remember correctly. But anyway, listen, I am a Leafs fan. Uh, and hold on, I know you're a, you're an Oilers fan. Is that not well, true? Living say, in Calgary, just just hang on a second because I am still an Oilers fan, born and raised in Edmonton. I just moved to Calgary last month. 
Um, I do not think I will be switching allegiances. I did not switch <laughs> allegiances when I lived in Toronto for 10 years. So I'm not okay. about to start. So yes, I'm still an Oilers fan. So if you're a Leafs fan, I'm an Oilers fan. I mean, even if okay. you're a Leafs fan. None of us have much to cheer about or be proud of uh, lately. True enough. True. You know, it's amazing you say that. And it's it's funny that there's all these, you know, inter-city uh, rivalries within Canada. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a Canadian and I was cheering for the Canadian team, right? As much as it pains me to say this, I was cheering loud and proud for the Habs in the Stanley Cup final. And that's almost a sin, right? When you're in Toronto to cheer for the Habs. But uh, right. uh, the fact that they were the Canadian contingent, I was very, very proud of, uh, of, of how they played, even though they took the Leafs out. Um, I was very proud of how they played. So I was cheering very, very loudly for those guys. That's good. I think a lot of people were. I think I think that was an, an easy team, team to cheer for. Montreal is pretty likable, even if you are... Great. Um, a Leafs fan, so it's too bad that they didn't get the job done. I think most hockey fans in Canada at this point would be happy to see any Canadian team win. I think think most just because it's been so long. (laughs) It um, has been so long. Somebody somebody needs to get it done soon. So I know you are the you know, let's call you the hockey expert of the two of us. Uh, So I'm going to ask you right away, let's talk about Seattle. Um, and if you had to give the Kraken a grade on their performance of the expansion draft, what are you giving them? What are you, what is professor Natasha grading the Seattle Kraken GM Ron Francis, uh, on his endeavors a couple of nights ago? Okay. First of all, expert is way too strong. I'm <laughs> an expert, but I do love hockey. Um, in terms of the, okay, before I even get into a grade, what I'm going I'm, to say right off the top is I was a little disappointed how first thing in the morning, we already knew basically every single person that who this, who Seattle was picking. There was no secrecy anymore. Like nothing. I mean, insiders and analysts, they're breaking stuff all the time. Now there's no intrigue anymore. There's no suspense, which I'm kind of disappointed in. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if if that's on the NHL or on the team, but that was a little disappointing. I I would agree. I think that I know that, you know, at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd already seen that, you know, Perry Price was sticking and, you know, the, and, and who was, and, and Larson was going. So it, it is, it is a little anticlimactic, isn't it? Right. There's an expectation yeah. that you're going to get the reveal of this news towards the end of the day. And then through the course of the day, these little tidbits, I completely agree with you. Uh, we see it across a lot of sports though, right? I mean, I know I'm a big NBA fan. I'll call myself an NBA guy. Uh, and there's a lot of times I know there's trade deadlines and free agent deadlines, but yet we're hearing news, you know, three, four five days before. And the NBA also has anti-tampering rules, which, seem to be kind of non-existent in terms of enforcement, right? Because we hear all this information. So I completely agree with you. It is it is a little anticlimactic. That aside, uh, I did watch it and I thought I thought it was pretty fun. I thought it was a little cheesy, but that's okay. These things are hard to not be cheesy. But for Definitely. the most part, I thought it was pretty good. It was nice that they had some of the players there putting on their jerseys. What did you think of it? Did you happen to see uh, Marshawn Lynch, my my jersey sake here yeah, announcing and and gary and gary payton and sean kemp it is hilarious yeah. if you haven't seen anybody who's listening please youtube it because it is absolutely hilarious i thought it was great right i thought they did a good job of incorporating some real seattle landmarks i, I have spent some time in seattle myself i have some family out there so the you know the fish market and uh, and yeah. then the needle and everything i thought it was actually really cool a little bit a little bit corny i suppose but it was uh, i think it was it was it was it was kind of in good taste i think Totally. I was laughing. I forget who they made announce Jonas Donskoy, which is one of the most difficult <laughs> to announce. And I forget who it was, 
Of course they butchered it. Poor guy. <laughs> I would butcher it. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that was, whatever. That was funny. It was fine. But to get back to your question about yes. what they did. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious they did really well on defense. Um, Ron Francis is sort of a more conservative guy, or at least that's the way he was with Carolina. And he seemed to have taken that same approach this time around, which I think is fine. I'm, I'm not sure about this goaltending goaltending situation that they have, but defense wins championships. I'll give you that. Definitely. Definitely. Solid defense on forwards. I mean, I'm not sure who's going to score all their goals. That's the question. Gordon Everly's on there. Yanni Gord. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I guess I give them a C. A C at this point. A C. Okay. No. Okay. So that's that's not. I I know C's very well from my school days. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm very familiar with that grade actually. And I'll agree with you. I mean, I think that I was more surprised by what they didn't do. Right. So my grade, and I'm going to take the easy cop out here, and I'm going to say incomplete because I don't think they're done yet. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that there was a very cautious slash timid approach to the draft. Right. I think you know I. The carry price thing is is one thing by itself, and the salary cap implications, of course, and, and everything else. But I, I think you're right. What they've done is really identify an identity of the team, right, which is really focused on these big, fast-skating defensemen. But I have the same question as you. Who is scoring goals, right? Where, besides Everly, where, like, where, where is the offense coming from? So I think uh, in goal, I think, Look, realistically, between you know, they're between their one A and one B option. So, what was that Dreja uh, with the first one and and uh, and Bernick being the second one? Um, they could have their goaltenders for under five million next year in terms of salary cap impact, right? Which is actually pretty good value if you think you know, Dreja took uh, took the Panthers to the playoffs this year. So, there's uh, you know, it could be some undervalued assets that Ron Francis had, and we'll see. But I think they'll be active in the free agent market still. Uh, and I think there's a lot of trades to be had still. So I think the team that we'll see come October, whenever it is, uh, will be a little different from the team you see now. So I'm going to say incomplete. Incomplete. Yeah, incomplete. I mean, I'm sure Francis has a few tricks up his sleeve. I would hope so, at least. As a fan, I was really hoping that he was going to pick Carey Price. I, I knew the chances were slim, maybe 1%. But how how crazy would that have been to see Carey yeah. Price leave Montreal go all the way to the other side of the country and join Absolutely. a new team. And I know he has that big contract. Now maybe there's an injury situation. So it would be yes. a very risky move, super bold, but you obviously need goaltending to win. You do. I don't think Vigor's proven yet. And when you look at Vegas, I mean, that's that was half their battle was getting Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Who was the favorite franchise. So it worked for them. Would it have worked for Seattle? I don't know. But just from a fan perspective, I was really hoping they were going to <laughs> Me really too. Hoping. Me too. You know, it's funny you talk about risk and risky moves and stuff. And if you know, you find that those GMs who are have the ability to pull off those risky moves. I mean, I'm gonna I'm a basketball guy again, so we'll take it back a couple of years when Masai goes out and rents Kawhi Leonard for a year and ask any Raptors fan in the city, and they'll say it was well worth it to you know to to lose to Rose and one of our you know one of our real hometown boys, but we got a championship out of it. So we'll we'll see how how uh, how Ron Francis plays you know plays his cards over the next uh, over the next couple of months. Um, given that you're such an Edmonton fan, how did you feel? About, uh, I mean, you lost a, a real key piece, right, to, the, to that team. That's uh, that is going to be the cornerstone. Him and Giordano, Larson and Giordano, will be the cornerstone of that, you know, defensive uh, defensive group out in, out in Seattle. So, how did you feel as an Oilers fan losing uh, someone as impactful as Larson? Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed. Uh, I'm wish, sure. Obviously, I wish he would have stayed. I'm not sure why he wanted to leave. I would love <laughs> to know the reasons behind that. 
Mm-hmm. It seems to be hard to get people to come to Edmonton. I, I'm not sure. I need to figure out <laughs> a little bit more. You hate to lose defensemen. They're Definitely. so hard to find. They're so hard to find good defensemen out there. So yeah, not a yeah. great, not a great day for the Oilers. I would say. Understood. Absolutely. You know, I think, and, and we talked a little bit about the Habs earlier, and I think you know the, the you know. Uh, in terms of image, who came out the best is is Bergevin from you know from the from the Canadians because he he reminded me of Chris Moneymaker in the 2003 World Series of Poker. Right, this was this was I'm a gambling guy, right? So I have gambling right. in my blood, and this was very much a, a a high stakes poker move where he pretty much challenged the Seattle Kraken and said, "Okay, here he is. I, I don't think you're going to pay the ten and a half million dollar salary cap it to take him." And he came out looking like a, you know kind of the real puppet master because he was able to save Jake Allen keep him in the Habs uniform, which I think is, was, was the primary goal all along. Right. I think um, that team doesn't get to the playoffs last year without Jake Allen. Kerry Price played great in the playoffs. He did amazing, but they don't get there without Jake Allen. And I think, I think he was the real piece that they wanted to hold on to. And I mean, he came out of that holding on to both goalies, right again. And if by whatever chance Kerry Price had left, that leaves him with Jake Allen and ten and a half million dollars in cap room, which in the NHL is a lot of money to uh, to to acquire a lot of assets. So I think uh, I think he played it really well. I think you know Kyle Dubas for sure. I'm, I'm go back to the Leafs, of course. I, uh, similarly, right, had a very very successful kind of expansion draft. I think he took that player and flipped him within three or four days. I think the guy didn't even get a chance to get to Toronto and shipping off to Seattle. So I think Dubas uh, looked really uh, came off looking really good as well. Uh, so I'm, I was pleased with the way it worked out for the Leafs. Okay, well, we'll give Bergevin an A plus, I guess, for the way he definitely Dubas. I don't know, A A minus. I'm not sure. <laughs> a minus doesn't matter. We'll see. But yeah, the uh, Seattle Kraken. I'm excited to see what they do. I feel like so far as a franchise, they've done a great job. I, I love their jerseys for whatever that's worth. I love their little Me too. video that they put out last year on Twitter. Me too. Super exciting. So we'll see. I, I the other thing I actually hope that happens is they get a bit of a rivalry going with Vancouver, which. Is, hard to manufacture these things maybe, but I hope something happens to get, to get this going, to get some good competition between the two. But Vancouver seems so far away. I mean, Edmonton and Calgary are here, but even, even they seem far from uh, Vancouver. So I think now that there's Vancouver does seem removed, doesn't it? A little bit kind of out out in the left field over there. And and they don't get a lot of the love from, from the rest of Canada, for sure. I completely agree. It'd be, it'd be great to see a rivalry develop between the two. And given the, geographic proximity is just it's ripe for a for a rivalry right and then i can see the canadian fans going strong into the uh into the seattle arena to to, to cheer on the canucks so i agree with you i hope that does develop into a heated rivalry yes agreed okay well we could talk about hockey all day obviously all day but we have to get to the olympics uh we are going to speak to Anne merklinger ceo of own the podium in a few moments but before we get to her I'd love to know your thoughts on the Olympics, Al. They're underway. Oh. Opening ceremonies are about to get going. Do you like the Olympics? Do you kind of have to watch? What's your What's your take? Absolutely. You know, it's it's. I, I suppose the it's kind of a silly thing to say, but the older I get, the more patriotic I seem to get. And you know, I'm super. I'm super. You know, proud to be a Canadian. Proud of the guys that we have over there. Uh, I love the Olympics because, again, I'm someone who worked in sports for a long, long time. So I watch and consume a lot of sport. Uh, and what I find really interesting about the Olympics is just the some of the more obscure sports that you get to watch, right? So I don't necessarily get to watch BMX biking or taekwondo or right. uh, track and field, right? I mean, and where else does the crescendo of an entire year of sport happen within ten seconds? Like it's it's just the most amazing buildup, and then this huge release of you know passion for that uh, 
for that 10 seconds. I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, an NHL champion is 16 games and even a heavyweight champion of the world in boxing has 12 rounds. That's a good two hour fight. This happens in 10 seconds. And I, I, I just, something about it is really exciting and, and, and emotional for me. So I'm really excited about track and field and, and watching some of these sports that I don't, don't necessarily get to watch all the time because right. you develop an appreciation for the first, what some of these guys can do. Again, I think we see this as, or I see this anyway, as a two week window. Mm-hmm. Um, but for these guys, this is years and years of practice at their craft. And, uh, and I want to give them the appreciation of being able to, uh, to enjoy it on TV. So I'm very, very excited to, uh, to, I've already been watching some of the Canadian soccer, the Canadian women's soccer. I saw Christine Sinclair score a nice goal. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to, to, to cheer on my fellow Canadians, uh, as loud as I can. Hopefully they can hear me from all the way over here. Totally. Yeah. No fans this year. So you are going to have to cheer no fans in Tokyo. So you are going to have to cheer extra loud. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm with you. I love the Olympics. It takes me a while to get into it sometimes, but once you see those first few athletes get on the podium and get those medals, all of a sudden I'm just all in. And I think as much as I love seeing the athletes that we already know, like Christine Sinclair perform, it's the sort of surprising performances or the athletes that I've never heard of for Canada who come out of nowhere and like gutsy performances and somehow way onto the podium. Those are the things that I love seeing. And it's funny, just, maybe it's just because I'm here in Calgary now. I was thinking the other day to some of my favorite Olympic memories and Elizabeth Manley stands out for me. I don't know if you were watching females figure skating in 1988 back in Calgary, but that performance of hers, I was 10 years old at the time and it left such an impression on me. Um, just the fan and the fans, how crazy they were and just how yeah. amazingly she performed. And I just, it's still on YouTube, Al, if you want to go watch it. She's got her I do. You know what? I have on. the music is hilarious, but you know, it. I have this I have this memory. I have this vision. I remember I have this this still picture burned into my head when you say the name of Elizabeth Manley. I think of her and this blonde hair and this pink dress and just, you know, exhausted passion, uh, you know, on the ice. And I, I I don't remember much about the routine other than this one still image that's just stuck in my brain. Uh, was she wearing a pink dress by any chance? Do I got has, this right? You have it 100% okay. right. Yep. Okay. I am going on YouTube to watch that after we're done this because it's it's been a long, long time. I was what I was uh, I was a, a a young thirteen year old boy at the time. I, but and again, that's you know many many years ago. But I still have this vision you know ingrained in my head, and that just speaks to how special the Olympics and the, uh, the uh, outside of the realm of, re- of of regular sport, how special the Olympics really are. Totally, there is nothing like them. Um, and with that, enough out of us. Let's bring in our guest, Anne Merklinger, the CEO of Own the Podium. And we are so happy to have you. How are you doing this morning? Doing very well. Thank you so much for inviting me uh, to this terrific initiative. And congratulations on launching the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, This is such a good time to be starting this because of the Olympics. Uh, Love the Olympics. Both Al and I are super excited for this to get going. How are you feeling about it? Canada is sending the largest team since 1984. Obviously, it's been a very strange year and a half with COVID and a delay. What is your sense uh, from the team right now, from the athletes and coaches as they settle into Tokyo? Well, we've already started competition. So as you know, uh, both women's soccer and women's softball have already had, uh, well, two matches for softball and one for women's soccer. So that's typically what happens at the Summer Olympic Games anyways, where a number of sports have to start prior to the opening ceremonies. And certainly from all accounts that, you know, uh, the first uh, week of of, uh, athletes and coaches and staff, uh, they have arrived and are settling into the village and 
checking out all the great Team Canada kit that they receive and, you know, becoming familiar with their surroundings. Um, the opening ceremonies are tomorrow morning, so different, obviously, Tokyo time, so it'll be evening for them. But there's just a real air of excitement and anticipation, and um, it's kind of like, let's get started. So that's that's it's a real exciting time, the anticipation for the athletes and the coaches and the staff. Uh, really uh, a culmination of all of their hard work and the games are about to begin. That's very cool. I know you, you say that the hard work and, and, and Natasha and I were talking a little bit earlier and for me specifically, the Olympics are this two week period where it's, you know, it's a lot of fast and furious action and then it's over. But for these guys, this is, you know, a, the culmination of a life's work pretty much. And so I, I, I can't imagine the feeling of, of accomplishment and anticipation and desire and everything else that's built into that two weeks. Um, you also mentioned the village. And so obviously we're in a bit of a crazy time right now with COVID. How has the dynamic changed in the village uh, from, from what you know, uh, you know, with the restrictions that are in place, I've seen some stuff on TV and of course it's, you know, TV is TV, but around some of the restrictions around, you know, uh, congregating for meals and, and the like. And so how has that been different for the, uh, for the athletes? Well, it's it's very different. It's very unusual. It's a games like uh, no other, and hopefully, it's a games that we will never have to uh, experience again. We're just so grateful for the Japanese host to be able to execute the games and provide these athletes and coaches the opportunity to fulfill a lifelong their lifelong dream of competing in the Olympic Games. So. You know, the Japanese hosts actually we should, should get the first gold medal for, for making the games happen. So, um, you know, I know all the Canadian team and all Canadians should be very are and should be very grateful for for that. You know, I think um, the village is uh, it's very there's very strict protocols. There's very strict rules around where people can and cannot go. But frankly, um there were very strict protocols and rules when the athletes, when the team got on the plane leaving Canada. So, uh, and those rules and protocols have been uh, very thoroughly communicated in advance. So there's no surprises. Everyone knew what the expectations uh, would be in Tokyo. They knew what rules they needed to follow. They knew what they could and couldn't do. Uh, and, you know, I think um, for team Canada, that's kind of been what the last 16 months has been like. They have had very strict protocols. Uh, the return to training and return to competition um, because of COVID was very, um, uh, very strict. The protocols that were identified were, you know, were very uh, thorough. They were evidence-based, uh, driven by sport medicine experts. And so that's been the environment that the Canadian team has been in for the last 16 months. So in many respects, um, having been in that kind of environment with very strict quarantine procedures, strict protocols, it's almost like a com competitive advantage for Team Canada. They can go into Tokyo knowing that they've survived the last 16 months They've had some incredible performances without many uh, opportunities for competition. And it's kind of like, okay, we got through the last 16 months and now we're here in Tokyo. So bring it on. We, we can, we can adapt to anything We're they're extremely resilient and they've, they've shown that over the last 16 months. Super cool. I can't imagine the sort of modifications that the athletes and coaches have had to make over the last year and a half. Can you just talk about how, much, I guess, how difficult the training might have been uh, more than usual in the last year and a half, just trying to adapt to all the safety protocols um, and whether or not 
you think it will have a significant impact on the results at the games? Yeah, I mean, I think it really varies by sport. So outdoor sports, they may not have had, um, you know, the length of the uh, quarantine or the length of the, um, you know, uh, protocol or the, you know, the protocols that they had to endure um, may have been a little less than indoor sports where you're obviously in a confined, much more confined environment and, you know, it's much more challenging for them. And so it really did vary by sport. So it varied by whether you're a combat sport or a team sport. So it's really kind of all over the map in terms of the impact on different sports. You know, I would say that um, the opportunities that we saw as a result of the pandemic have been quite enlightening. So it was an extra year for athletes to be able to heal from nagging injuries, to look at any technical gaps that they may have had, um, you know, to really um, spend a year uh, in holistic development to make sure that they are in the best physical, emotional um well-being that they could they could possibly be in heading into Tokyo. So that was that was a positive. Uh, we were very fortunate as a nation that virtually no athletes decided to not commit to the extra year uh, because obviously it's a it was a five-year commitment quadrennial for um, athletes uh, in preparing for the Tokyo Games. So virtually everyone right. committed to another year. So that was fantastic. Uh, I think also that. Um, you know, we we were able to uh, work with coaches and sport leaders to find in, innovative and creative solutions to get back to training. Uh, we've seen many of those stories where, you know, there were backyard pools built out of hay or, uh, you know, many, many athletes were so creative uh, and solutions focused in finding ways to get back to training. So, you know, I think those are all the positives. It's kind of, again, like, you know, you've got this extra layer of body armor on you because you, you've been so adaptable, so resilient, uh, and, and you, you carry that with you into the games and it gives you an extra layer of confidence uh, heading into the games. So I, I, again, I think that's a real positive for team Canada. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, the most traditional way to measure success at Olympic Games is obviously a medal count, right? We all see the medal count that goes on TV and we're paying attention and stuff. Uh, how do athletes measure success beyond beyond just medals at, uh, at the Olympics? Is it purely like the accomplishment of getting a medal? Or I mean, I'm sure there's other things that we, me as a, a regular Canadian, you know, kind of layman wouldn't understand. Uh, so how do athletes measure success uh, at Olympic Games, you know, and especially this one, given that it's so unique uh, uh, versus the ones we've seen in the past? Well, great question. I think there's a number of different measures of success for these particular games compared to others, both for the athletes and for the Canadian Olympic Committee and for our country. So first and foremost, to ensure that every member of Team Canada arrives safely and, and healthy uh, in Japan and they are able to get to their start line or their, you know, the opening kickoff or whatever sport they're in, in a safe and healthy manner. And then that they can return home uh, and, and be safe and healthy and that our Japanese hosts are protected uh, as well from, from COVID. So those are all measures of success that are pretty unusual. Every athlete that goes to an Olympic games or a Paralympic games, they have a, a, per, a personal goal. They have a personal performance goal. And so um, 
when you actually get to the games, it's not so much about focusing on the goal. It's focusing on the process that you need to follow to achieve that goal. So at this point, as athletes are getting ready to compete, it's all about, you know, follow the plan, focus on the process. Don't worry about the outcome. Of course, they're going to think about the outcome, but you do that after. Like you have to follow the plan and focus on the process. And and that's really what will be going through through their through their minds as they prepare for competition. Very cool. Trust in the process. It's so easy to say, but it's so tough to do right. sometimes, right? I can imagine, all you want to think about is standing on that podium, but you can't. You have to just focus on your routine and try and keep everything the same, I would imagine, which makes me wonder about um, the heat in Tokyo. Obviously, very different um, from Tokyo to Canada when it comes to the temperatures. Are the athletes able to train for that? Are they able to prepare for that in any way? Yes, we as a technical agency worked very closely with our sport medicine experts and sports science experts over the last two and a half years, frankly, to make sure that our heat strategy to help athletes acclimatize, recover, hydrate um, during training and competition was customized. So it was customized by individual athletes and customized for each sport. So that's been a two, two and a half year project, um, really driven again by the sport medicine and sports science uh, experts in our country, of which they've just been so generous in uh, in committing the, their time and expertise to help athletes prepare uh, and compete during Tokyo. Amazing to think of how many people are involved in the success. I, again, it sounds like such a ridiculous statement for me to say because it sounds so simple, but how many people are involved in their efforts and their expertise in you know, creating what we see on on TV as representation of Canada, right? Because there's so much stuff, and it's it's cool to hear an internal ref, an internal person talk about it, uh, you know, versus what we see, which is the, the the end result without seeing the process, as you guys have talked about uh, talked about so much. Yes, well, there's 800 people in Tokyo, so those are athletes, coaches, staff. Um, 800 Cana- on the Canadian of the Canadian on, on the Canadian contingent for the Olympic Games, and there's going to be another four or five hundred for the Paralympic Games. About 400, I believe. So on the heels of the Olympic Games are the Paralympic Games. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're upwards of, of 1,200 people right there on the ground uh, in Tokyo. Then both the Canadian Olympic Committee and the Canadian Paralympic Committee have a, a Canada-based mission team that is here supporting, shifted to Tokyo hours so that they can support the team. So there's another kind of, you know, large number of people uh, doing that and providing remote support because uh, those two organizations aren't able to send as many people as they would normally have sent for both the Olympic and Paralympic Games. And then on top of that, all these athletes have been developed by national sport organizations and they're kind of the unsung heroes. So the chief executive officers and the high performance directors and staff, and they vary in number and, and based on the size of the national sport organization, but they have worked, uh, you know, for a decade to help these athletes prepare and provide them with the resources and guidance to help them achieve their athletic goals. Very interesting. And then of course, then of course, there's the families and their friends who are back home and none of them are able to be in Tokyo. And so, you know, there are so many connections Uh, in Canada. We have a group of Canadian sport institutes and centers, and they have an army of experts who also support the athletes in training and competition. So, you know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes who, you know, aren't, aren't able to be as recognized as much as we would like to um, 
you know, who are really part of the performances uh, of each of these individual athletes. Very cool. That's got to be tough without the families there for sure. I, I mean, that has to be, must be so amazing to have your family there watching you competing and to not have them there this year. Uh, I imagine there was really no way around it though, really. Yeah, the host organizing committee uh, ruled that there could be no fans uh, in any of the venues. And but, I, you know, I think as we start to follow the broadcast, uh, our host broadcaster uh, and other major television networks here in Canada, we will see some creative opportunities where the families are able to engage with their, um, you know, sons and daughters partners uh, and help celebrate their performances. And we've already seen that through some of the trials that have been hosted here in Canada. So they're both the Canadian Olympic Committee and Canadian Paralympic Committee are going to do everything possible to connect uh, these families and friends with, with the athletes. Absolutely. Very cool. Good. That's good. That's good to know. You sort of touched on it before, um, just in terms of training around COVID and all the safety protocols. Can you think of any specific stories about athletes or teams, just sort of wacky, creative ways that they got around some of the, um, not around them, not, of course they were bypassing them, but just ways they had to modify their training because of COVID? Uh, I mean, I know that many of the uh, Canadian Sport Institutes and the National Sport Organizations worked with their strength and conditioning providers to their experts to equip athletes with the strength and conditioning equipment that they needed to be able to train at home because for many weeks, athletes, you know, all of us, we weren't able to leave our homes. We were kind of in lockdown. And so there was, you know, a good eight to 10 weeks where that was applicable across our entire country. And so, you know, being able to um, acquire the equipment and both the Canadian Olympic Committee and Canadian Paralympic Committee helped with that as well. And then their, their sport science practitioners had to write programs for them to be able to follow. There were virtual training sessions for many of the athletes. There were virtual team training sessions where they could do, you know, different technical and tactical kind of, um, uh, you know, movements to try and stay connected. So it's it's really been interesting to watch, um, you know, that innovation and that creativity and that positive outlook. I mean, no one ever gave up. You know, it, it's it's quite remarkable, the, the mental strength and the resilience that's been developed. And, you know, it's great, it's great learning for us as an organization as well, because the majority of the sports were not able to compete as often as they would typically compete both in Canada and abroad, heading into uh, a major games. And still we've seen some phenomenal performances. So after the Tokyo games are over, uh, our work uh, really accelerates in, in identifying what are the lessons learned. Maybe maybe some sports shouldn't uh, train or as, you know, as maybe there's modifications that need to be made to different training regimens and similarly to the competition structure. So that's really important reflection that will happen after the Tokyo Games. Right. Interesting. Very cool. Again, it speaks to the how the, the, the Olympics process is so much longer than the two weeks, right? There's also this post-reflection period and this analysis period that will you know, go into it. It's, it's interesting you say that uh, you know, some of the modifications you've had to make out of necessity this year could be out of, you know, out of advantageous 
you know, kind of going down the road as uh, as 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 things continue to modify and uh, and develop. So that's a a very cool glass half full kind of uh, kind of kind of view. I got one more question for you, Anne. I just want to know. Um, I mean, we are always proud of our athletes, but this year's been so much different. What will what you will we be most proud of when you see the athletes uh, on the so-called start line this year? Well, I think for me, it's just the the positive outlook and the determination and the perseverance, you know, they have been so um, focused on solutions. So, um, so focused on what they can control and not get, they're not distracted by the uncontrollables. And so that, that mental strength has been truly remarkable. And so, uh, you know, that, that's a significant takeaway it's it's been a real challenge the last 16 months and on top of that many of the sports have been looking at other nations where the lockdowns and the the quarantine periods and the quarantine rules have not been as challenging as what they've been here in Canada but you know they're they're not fussed by that they're like it is what it is i can't control that this is what what we have to do and let's get it done that's what makes them Olympians, I guess. That's why they're competing and I'm not, because I don't have that mental strength. <laughs> well, you know what? We are we will, we are fans and we'll be cheering as loud as hopefully they can hear us all the way over there in, uh, in Tokyo. I know we can't be there in person, but uh, we will be cheering. I am in front of my TV cheering. I was cheering when Christine Sinclair scored that goal yesterday. I was jumping up and down on my couch yesterday, so I'm very excited to see the uh, the, see the rest of the games. Uh, and it's, it's really cool to have you here and give us the visibility, kind of the internal visibility as to you know stuff we don't necessarily see about. Uh, of the Olympics process. So thank you very, very much for your, uh, for your time today. Well, thank you. And you know, there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing uh, the Canadian flag raised on the podium and being able to belt out the national anthem. And while we can't do it in person, I know that all of us will be doing it and screaming at our TVs with every outstanding performance that Canada achieves in Tokyo. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Nice to meet you both. Huge thanks to Anne Merlinger, the CEO of Podium, to join us, Al. I just, again, the mental strength, like she said, to, I mean, how disappointed were those athletes when they canceled the games last year, delayed them? And then, I mean, in some ways it was advantageous, but to keep that training going for a whole other year and a half and training in your living room or whatever, like, I just, it's amazing just to even get to the games. It's amazing what the athletes have been able to accomplish so far. And, and look, I mean, the thing that, that, that really spoke to me was the fact that families can't be there, right? Can you imagine someone who's been training for this for their entire teenage years? And this is their, this is it, right? This is the, this is the kind of mo- the moment and to not be able to have the people that supported you all the way there. It would, I can, that would be really, really, really trying. And again, a real test of the mental strength beyond just the physical strength involved in all this stuff. So I'd uh, Man, it's a kudos and applause to those guys over there with for their for their fortitude for sure. Exactly. Fortitude. Good words. Fortitude. All right. <laughs> Word of the day. I think that's it for us. I think that's the end of our, our first episode. How are you feeling? Feeling good? Really good. good? Yeah, it's good. No, I, I listen. I, I enjoyed it. It was. It was uh, it, it's. I mean, we talked about hockey in the summer, and we talked about the Olympics, right? So that's. Uh, it's all good. I know there's a lot of fun stuff coming up, and I'm excited to Love be doing this with you a lot more often, Natasha. I think uh, uh, it's going to be fun talking about sports with somebody so knowledgeable in sports, and uh, and I look forward to our next uh, our next time we get to talk. Me too.
All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and uh, talk to you next week. You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Come on!